You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and remain standing if you're able. This is a very familiar text, but may God grant us fresh eyes and ears. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. You might be wondering why every chance I get a sort of open Sunday where I can kind of preach whatever I want you might be wondering why I'm either preaching on humility or weakness. Maybe you're not wondering that, but that's typically the case. And you might be tempted to conclude that's because I think that's what you need to hear. You guys need to be more weak and you need to be more humble. That is not the case. The reason I choose these topics whenever I have an open Sunday is because these are things I think I need the most. I am consistently blown away that verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 5 is the introduction to the most influential sermon that has ever been preached. Verses 1 through 12 of Matthew 5 is the opening of the door to Christ's manifesto. John Stott says that the Sermon on the Mount is the closest thing to a manifesto that we have for Christ. And these verses are the opening to this sermon. And what begins the manifesto? What are the first words from Jesus in the most influential sermon he has ever preached? Is it a call to arms? Is it a call for chariots, 
or horses or gusto? Or is it a call for more resolve from his people? No, what's so remarkable to me is that this sermon begins with a description of remarkable weakness. As I said earlier in the Realm Post, it's not the kind of weakness that comes from unrepentant or besetting sins. The way to get out of that weakness, brothers and sisters, is to repent. Repent so that times of refreshing may come. There is a kind of weakness that comes from unrepentant, besetting sin. And and that's not the kind of weakness that opens this most famous sermon. No, this is a description of those who are poor in spirit. Those who mourn. It's a description of those who are meek those who are hungry and thirsty. And so as a final primer to our Supremacy of Christ series starting next week, I want to offer a sermon from the Beatitudes, verses 1 through 12, and ask the Lord that he might see it fit to grant each of us a radical awareness of our absolute need for Jesus. Because if we want to see and savor the supremacy of Christ, we must first embrace our own personal need for him. Our need for Christ's supremacy doesn't make him supreme. Our need for his supremacy doesn't make him supreme. He is supreme regardless of our need There are billions of people walking around right now who don't know that Jesus Christ is supreme. That doesn't make him any less supreme. But the people of God are the ones that God has saw fit to give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe that we need him and we need his supremacy. And therefore, we can celebrate his supremacy, his glory. The aim of our church, the mission statement for 11 years has been to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to see and savor the supremacy of Christ, we must, God must grant us the awareness of our ongoing need for Jesus. Spurgeon writes in, in ways that only Spurgeon can. God does not need your strength. He has more than enough power of his own. He asks for your weakness. He has none of that in himself. And he is longing, therefore, to take your weakness and use it as the instrument of his own, in his own mighty hand. And then Spurgeon asks, will you not yield your weakness to him and receive his strength? Christian weakness is not weakness for weakness sake. 
we're not asking, Christ is not asking us to have some wormly existence where we're just useless and trampled on and I'm weak and whatever. That's not the kind of weakness that God is calling us to. It's the kind of weakness that we give to God whereby he now uses our lives as instruments of mercy and strength to the watching world. Oh, to be publicly weak, Dr. Pallison would say, is that strange and unusual door into the strength of God. Some trust in horses and some in chariots. Some trust in politics. Some trust in bank accounts. Some trust in social status. What kind of church will we be? I pray that we would trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Notice with me in the text. Now, I have no structure for this sermon. (laughs) So this is going to be interesting. Um, I'm just going to go for it. Um, Notice with me that Jesus doesn't begin his most famous sermon with what his disciples are to do. Notice, he doesn't even start his most famous sermon with how his, how his disciples ought to be or how they ought to think. Instead, Jesus begins his most influential sermon by describing who his disciples already are. In other words, the Beatitudes are a description of God's kingdom people. The Beatitudes are not a prescription for blessing. Do this and then God will bless you. Do this and then you will find God's favor. No, the Beatitudes are a description of the already blessed. Notice verse two, verse three, blessed are the poor. He doesn't say, blessed will be the poor if they act really, really poor. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. These are not imperatives. Be poor, mourn some more, be meek. These are not imperatives or commands. No, they are declarative statements. They are indicatives, which means Jesus is pronouncing a blessing upon his people well before he asks anything of them. Beloved, you will not hear that in any other world religion or ideology on the face of the planet. The promise of divine blessing absent your works. This is distinctly Christian. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is what pushes me through weeks of purification. Divine blessing absent my work. The only thing that we bring, as it's been said, the only thing we bring to God in salvation is our need for rescue. 
and in the tender mercies of God in Christ, we have a rescuer. So then Jesus describes for his disciples the characteristics of those who are already blessed in his kingdom. And what we discover right off of the bat again is that Jesus has a different understanding of what blessing is. Jesus has a different understanding of what blessing is than we do. Material wealth, cheerful circumstances, a new car, a new house. I'm not demonizing those things. Those can be good things and they can be tertiary blessings from the Lord. But as far as decisive blessing goes, Jesus has a different idea of blessing than we do. In God's economy, instead, the most influential person, Jesus, who has ever lived, the one who holds the secret of an abundant life in his hand, the creator of life himself, opens his Christian manifesto to share the heart of the creator with his creation. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't expect that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Break out the violins, Jesus. Here we go. Who are the blessed of God? Answer, those who are poor in spirit. Not the rich West and not the poor. It's the poor in spirit. What does it mean? To be poor in spirit. Jesus is not talking about financial poverty. It does not make you more holy to have less money. Jesus is saying to be poor in spirit means that you are aware of your spiritual beggary. Your spiritual bankruptcy. These are the blessed of God. It means you have no spiritual means by which you can barter with God. You are a spiritual beggar. You can only receive. Beggars only receive. Right? They, they have the, their handout or their, their can in front of them. They're not offering anything. They're only receiving. And Jesus says spiritually, oh, those are blessed. Oh, those are the blessed ones. And as I was thinking about this again, I was thinking about what an offense the gospel is before it's good news. Isn't it? That's really offensive to say you spiritually have nothing to bring God that he's impressed by. That's why people don't come to church. (laughs) If we said, come to this church because we need you, God needs you, God needs your stuff, he needs your gifts, this place would be packed out. People don't come to church because when the gospel comes, it says you have nothing to offer God that he needs. He doesn't need us. But look right at me. He wants us. Oh my God. That is a big difference. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants us. And so the, the blessed of God first are those who are poor in spirit. They know they have nothing to offer God that would complete his world. And this is what makes his love so genuine. 
right? Because if he's like, oh, I'm going to give to you only so I can receive something back. No, his love is pure. It's pure. He doesn't need us. He loves us despite or regardless of our utility. It's amazing. Lloyd-Jones, the best preacher on the planet who's ever lived, writes this. He says, this is best preacher other than Jesus. Let me be clear. Lloyd-Jones writes this. This is the beatitude, the first one, the poor in spirit that I'm spending perhaps too much time on. This is what Lloyd-Jones says. This is the beatitude which must come at the beginning and for good reason, because there is no entry. Now listen, there is no entry into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God apart from it. This is not like an optional characteristic. Jones goes on, he says, there is no one in the kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. It is the fundamental characteristic of the Christian and of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And all the other characteristics are in a sense, the result of this one, end quote. That's right. You won't hunger and thirst for righteousness unless you're poor in spirit. As another writes, the problem with those outside the kingdom is not that they feel empty. I've said this before. The problem is not that they feel empty. The problem is that they already feel full. They are too full to be filled. I don't need Jesus. I've got talk radio. I've got television. I've got books. What do I need? They're too full to be filled. We simply cannot be filled with the free gift of God's righteousness through Christ until we are emptied of our efforts to satisfy our own guilty consciences. And it's this quality that opens the door. It opens the door to every other beatitude, to be poor in spirit, to recognize your spiritual weakness apart from the gift of the gospel. And it's strange living. This is peculiar living. If you live like this, and this is how I want to live, and I'm far from it. But if we live like this, we become utterly, we just we become weirdos. Because we're cutting against every grain in society. I don't care if it's the political right or the political left. Everybody's trying to say, you can be strong. And if we live like this, we're just going to be weird. Like Jesus. And you might die like Jesus. The overwhelming consensus is that these B attitudes are counter-cultural. They're counterintuitive. They cut against the grain of human wisdom. They don't make sense. They're foolish to those who are perishing. It's foolish to live like you're weak. I want to be strange in this world. So who are the blessed? Jesus says, here, here, here are the blessed. And let's just summarize. They are the meek. 
They are the humble. They are the thirsty. They are the merciful. They are the pure in heart. And they are the peacemakers. That's who the blessed are. In a very real sense, I said this whenever I preached this last time. In a very real sense, the Beatitudes are a description of Christ himself, aren't they? You, you just read Jesus' character references. They're a description of Christ himself. After all, it is Christ who is a man of sorrows, meek and merciful. Christ was the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus said himself, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in a very real sense, the Beatitudes are a description of Christ himself and it is a description of those who are in Christ, who are in union with him so that all that he is becomes all that we are. All that he is becomes all that we are. What do you want to define your life? Christ alone. Christ alone. This is what we die for. This is what we live for. Blessed are the weak and needy, for the Lord take thought for them. So that is who the blessed are. Notice what they receive. Now, this is paradoxical. This doesn't make sense in any other category other than Christian thought. This is what the blessed receive. They receive everything that Christ has earned for them. And these gifts are both present and future. For instance, look at verse 3 again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is to say, the kingdom of heaven is already their possession. It's already their possession. The kingdom has come in the coming of Christ. And for those who are united to Christ, they share in the present reality of the kingdom of God here and now. It's already yours. And then there is a future reality to what we get. There is a present reality to what we have, and there is a future yet consummation of his kingdom that is still to come. And that's highlighted in verses four through nine. Look at verses four and five, at least. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they, what? Shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. There is a yet future consummation to the promises of this present kingdom. We are right now seated with God in the heavenlies. And we will be seated with God in the heavenlies. And as you read verse 5, let that wash over you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
when I look at power structures and geopolitics and when I read, you know, the little headlines and articles, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Right? Doesn't it feel like when you look around at the world today that it's the strong and the mighty, it's the harsh and aggressive, it's the bombastic, it's the egotistical, it's the power-hungry rich ones who are going to take over the earth? Nope. Jesus says, it's the meek who will inherit the earth. The meek. Greatness, remember what greatness is. Greatness, according to Jesus, is defined by lowly service of others. When you get low and you wash your friend's feet and you wash your enemy's feet, Jesus says, that's greatness. That's power. And that will inherit the earth. It's a paradox. The Christian life is a paradox. Second Corinthians chapter six, Paul says, we are treated as imposters yet are true. We are treated as unknown yet well known. We are treated as dying and behold, we live. We're treated as punished and yet we won't be killed. We're treated as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We're treated as poor, yet making many rich. We're treated as having nothing, yet possessing everything. The Christian life is a paradox. To gain your life, you lose it. To go high, you go low. Greatness is service. It's self-forgetfulness. It's not bombastic ego. It's the exact opposite. It is Christ-like. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So what do the blessed receive? Comfort. They inherit the earth. The blessed are satisfied, finally. And they receive mercy, the blessed see God, and they are called sons of God. But that's not all the blessed receive. And this is what we all have come to love about Jesus, is his raw honesty. Look at what else the blessed receive in verses 10 and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad at that. (laughs) For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So there is remarkable promise of present and future inheritance, and there is a promise of persecution. There is a promise of hard times for the Christian. Jesus said to his disciples in this life, you will have what? Tribulation. Go for it. You can do it. Tribulation. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. 
Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Opposition, as one author writes, opposition is a normal mark of being a disciple of Christ. As normal as hungering for righteousness or being merciful. Don't misunderstand me, or I don't think, don't misunderstand Christ. I don't think we go looking for opposition, right? This doesn't give us license to be just opposition hunters. We just mean about it. Like just cutting people off and like, well, there's more opposition. It was promised. Bless God. No, opposition will come to you. It will come to you in many forms. Just live a little longer if you have yet to experience that. But it's normal. It's normal. It's what we do with it. It's what we do with that opposition that reveals the character of our heart. So who are the blessed of God? They are those who are in Christ possessing the characteristics of Jesus. They are poor in spirit, meek and merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart. They are the peacemakers. What do they receive? They receive a kingdom now and a kingdom to come. They inherit the earth. They are comforted. They are satisfied and they shall see God. And finally, they are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. I think that's all I want to say. God does not need our strength. He has more than enough power of his own. He asks for our weakness. He has none of that himself. And he is longing to take our weakness and use it as the instrument of in his own mighty hand. Beloved, if we want to see and savor the supremacy of Christ, not just in a 12-week series, but in all of our lives, we must, we must embrace again and again our own weakness and need for this Jesus.